Section seven of the Shuans by Honore de Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter two B. As each soldier stepped out to use their commandant's phrase, the wretched vehicle which then served for a mail coach had quickly reached the sign of the three moors in the middle of the principal street of Alençon. The rattle of the crazy conveyance brought the landlord to the threshold. Nobody in Alençon had expected that chance would bring the coach to the sign of the three moors, but the horrible event at Mortagne brought out so many people to look at it that its occupants, to escape the general curiosity, fled into the kitchen, the antechamber of every inn throughout the West. The host was preparing to follow them after a look at the coach, when the postillion caught his arm. "'Look here, citizen Brutus,' he said. "'There is an escort of blues on the way. As there was neither driver nor dispatches, it was my doing that the citoyens came to you. Of course, they will pay like ci-devant princesses, and so—' and so we will have a glass of wine together directly my boy said the landlord mademoiselle de vernoy gave one glance round the smoke-blackened kitchen and at the stains of raw meat on the table and then fled like a bird into the next room for the appearance and odour of the place dismayed her quite as much as the inquisitive looks which a slovenly cook and a short stout woman fastened upon her how were we going to manage wife said the landlord who the devil would think so many people would come here as times go now she will never have the patience to wait till i can serve her up a suitable meal my word i have hit upon it they belong to the quality why shouldn't they breakfast with the lady upstairs eh when the host looked about for the newcomers he found only francine whom he drew to the side of the kitchen nearest the yard so that no one could overhear him and said if the ladies wish to breakfast by themselves as i expect they do i have a very nice meal now ready for a lady and her son they would not object of course to breakfasting with you he went on mysteriously they are people of quality the words were hardly out before the landlord felt a light blow on the back from a whip handle he turned quickly and saw behind him a short thick-set man who had come in noiselessly from a closet adjoining the stout woman the cook and his assistant seemed frozen with terror by this apparition the landlord turned his head away aghast the short man shook aside the hair which covered his eyes and forehead and stood on tiptoe to whisper in the landlord's ear you know what any blabbing or imprudence lays you open to and the colour of the money we pay in we never grudge it a gesture rendered his meaning horribly clear the stout person of the landlord hid the speaker but francine caught a word here and there of his muttered talk and stood as if thunderstruck 
as she listened to the hoarse sounds of a breton voice amid the general dismay she sprang towards the speaker but he had darted through a side door into the yard with the quickness of a wild animal francine thought that she must be mistaken for she could only see what appeared to be the brindled fell of a fair-sized bear she ran to the window in surprise and gazed after the figure through the grimy panes he was slouching off to the stable but before he entered he bent two piercing black eyes upon the first story of the inn and then turned them on the coach as if he wished to call the attention of someone within to some point of special interest about it thanks to this manoeuvre which displayed his face francine recognized the chouan as marcheterre despite his goatskin cloak by his heavy whip and the lagging gait which he could quicken upon occasion she watched him still even through the dimness of the stable where he lay down in a heap among the straw in a spot where he could see all that went on in the inn even at close quarters an experienced spy might have taken him for a big carter's dog curled round asleep with his muzzle between his paws his conduct convinced francine that he had not recognized her in her mistress's difficult position she hardly knew whether this was a relief or an annoyance but her curiosity was whetted by the mysterious connection between the shuan's threat and the landlord's proposal for an innkeeper is always ready to stop two mouths with one morsel she left the dingy window whence she had seen marcheterre as a shapeless heap in the darkness and turned to the landlord who stood like a man who has made a false step and cannot see how to retrieve it the shuan's gesture had petrified the poor fellow every one in the west knew how the chasseur du roi visited even a suspicion of indiscretion with cruel refinements of torture the landlord seemed to feel their knives at his throat the chef stared in terror at the hearth where too often they warmed the feet of their victims the stout woman ceased to pare a potato and gazed stupidly at her husband while the scullion tried to guess the meaning of this mute terror francine's curiosity was naturally roused by all this dumb show with the principal performer absent though still visible the shuan's terrible power pleased her and although it hardly lay in her meek nature to play the abigail for once she was too deeply interested not to use her opportunities for penetrating this mystery very good mademoiselle accepts your offer she said gravely at her words the landlord started as if from sleep what offer he asked in real surprise what offer asked corentin as he came in what offer asked mademoiselle de verneuil what offer 
asked a fourth person from the foot of the staircase as he sprang into the kitchen why to breakfast with your people of distinction answered francine impatiently people of distinction said the arrival from the staircase in caustic and mocking tones this is one of your landlord's jokes and a very poor one but if it is this young citoyenne whom you wish to add to our party he added looking at mademoiselle de verneuil it would be folly to decline my good fellow in my mother's absence i accept and he clapped the bewildered landlord on the shoulder the careless grace of youth concealed the insolent pride of his words which naturally drew the attention of those present to the new actor in the scene the host put on the face of pilate at this washing his hands of the death of christ he stepped back and whispered to his plump wife you are my witness that if anything goes wrong i am not to blame but at all events he added in still lower tones let monsieur marcheterre know everything the newcomer was of middle height and wore the uniform of the ecole polytechnique a blue coat without epaulettes breeches of the same material and black gaiters that reached above the knee in spite of this sombre costume mademoiselle de verneuil recognized at a glance the grace of his figure and an indescribable something which indicated noble birth at first sight there was nothing remarkable in his face but something in his features soon made it felt that he was capable of great things a sunburned face fair and curling hair brilliant blue eyes and a delicately cut nose all these traits like the ease of his movements revealed a life subordinated to lofty sentiments and a mind accustomed to command the feature that most clearly revealed his character was a chin like bonaparte's or a mouth where the lower lip met the upper in a curve like that of some acanthus leaf on a corinthian capital there nature had exerted all her powers of magic this young man is no ordinary republican said mademoiselle de verneuil to herself she understood everything in a moment and the wish to please awoke in her she bent her head a little to one side with a coquettish smile and the dark eyes shot forth one of those velvet glances that would awaken life in a heart dead to love then the heavy eyelids fell over her black eyes and their thick lashes made a curved line of shadow on her cheeks as she said we are very much obliged to you sir imparting a thrill to the conventional phrase by the most musical tones her voice could give all this by-play took place in less time than it takes to describe it and at once mademoiselle de verneuil turned to the landlord asked for her room found the staircase and disappeared with francine 
leaving the stranger to decide whether or no she had accepted his invitation. "'Who is the woman?' asked the pupil of the École Polytechnique, of the still further embarrassed and motionless landlord. "'She is the citoyenne Vernoy,' answered Corentin tartly, as he ran his eyes over the other jealously. "'What makes you ask?' The stranger hummed a republican air, and raised his head haughtily at Corentin. The two young men looked at one another for a moment like gamecocks about to fight, and at a glance an undying hatred of each other dawned in them both. For the frank gaze of the soldier's blue eyes, there shone malice and deceit in Corentin's green orbs the one naturally possessed a gracious manner the other could only substitute insinuating dexterity of address the first would have rushed forward where the other slunk back the one commanded the respect that the other sought to obtain the first seemed to say let us conquer the second let us divide the spoil is the citizen du Gois saint cyr here asked a peasant at the door what do you want with him asked the young man coming forward the peasant made a deep reverence and handed him a letter which the young man read and threw into the fire he nodded by way of answer and the peasant went away you have come from paris no doubt citizen said corentin coming up to him with a familiar and cringing complaisance that the citizen du Gois could hardly endure yes he replied dryly some appointment in the artillery i expect no citizen in the navy ah then you are going to brest said corentin carelessly but the young sailor turned away quickly on his heel without replying. He soon disappointed the fair expectations that Mademoiselle de Vernoy had formed of him. A puerile interest in his breakfast absorbed him. He discussed recipes with the chef and the landlady, opened his eyes at provincial ways like a fledgling Parisian picked out of his enchanted shell affected repugnances, and altogether showed a weakness of mind that one would not have expected from his appearance. Corentin smiled pityingly as he turned up his nose at the best cider in Normandy. Fah! he cried. How do you manage to swallow that stuff? One could eat and drink it, too no wonder the republic suspects a district where they bang the trees with long poles for their vintage and lie in wait to shoot travellers on the road don't put that physic on the table for us but give us some good bordeaux wine both white and red and see above all things that there is a good fire upstairs civilization is a long way behind hereabouts it seems to me ah 
he sighed there is but one paris in the world and it is a pity indeed that one cannot take it afloat with one hello spoil sauce he cried to the cook do you mean to say you are putting vinegar into the fricassee when there are lemons at hand and your sheets madame landlady were so coarse that i scarcely slept a wink all night he then betook himself to playing with a large cane performing with childish gravity a number of evolutions which decided the place of a youth among incroyables by the degree of skill and neatness with which they were executed and out of whipper-snappers like that the republic hopes to construct a navy said corentin confidentially as he scanned the landlord's face that man is one of fouche's spies whispered the sailor to the landlady i see it in every line of his face i would swear that he brought that splash of mud on his chin from paris but set a thief to catch a lady entered the kitchen as he spoke whom he greeted with every outward sign of respect come here chère maman he cried i think i have found someone to share our meal to share our meal what nonsense she replied it is mademoiselle de verneuil he said lowering his voice she perished on the scaffold after the savinet affair she had come to mont to save her brother the prince de loudon said his mother shortly you are mistaken madame said corentin amiably and with a little pause on the word madame there is a second mademoiselle de verneuil great families have always several branches surprised at his freedom the lady drew back a pace or two as if to scrutinize this unlooked-for speaker she bent her dark eyes upon him as if she would divine with a woman's keen power of apprehension why he affirmed mademoiselle de verneuil to be yet in existence corentin who at the same time furtively studied the lady refused her the pleasures of maternity to endow her with those of love he gallantly declined to believe her to be the happy mother of a son twenty years of age seeing her dazzling complexion her thick arching eyebrows her still abundant eyelashes which excited his admiration and her wealth of black tresses divided on the forehead into two bandeaux a style which enhanced the youthfulness of a sprightly face it was the force of passion he thought and by no means time that had set faint lines on her forehead and if the piercing eyes drooped somewhat this might be due rather to the constant expression of lively feelings than to the weariness of her pilgrimage corentin then discovered that the cloak she wore was of english materials and that her bonnet followed some foreign fashion and was not in the mode called a la grecque which ruled parisian toilettes 
corentin's nature always led him to suspect evil rather than good and he began at once to have his doubts as to the patriotism of the pair while the lady who had as rapidly come to her own conclusions about corentin looked at her son as if to say who is this quiz is he on our side to this implied question the young man's manner replied like his look and gesture i know nothing about him upon my word and you cannot suspect him as much as i do then leaving it to his mother to discover the mystery he went up and whispered to the hostess try to find out who the rogue is and whether he really does accompany that young lady and why so you are sure citizen said madame du gois looking at corentin that mademoiselle de verneuil is still living she exists as surely in flesh and blood madame as the citizen du gois Cyr. there was a profound irony beneath his words known only to the lady herself any other woman would have been disconcerted her son suddenly fixed his eyes on corentin who coolly drew out his watch and did not seem to suspect the apprehensions his reply had aroused but the lady uneasy and anxious to know at once whether treachery lurked in the words or chance had directed them said to corentin quite simply mon dieu how unsafe the roads are the chouans set upon us on the other side of mortagne my son narrowly escaped being left there for good he had two balls through his hat while defending me then madame you were in the coach that was plundered by the brigands in spite of its escort and which has just brought us hither you will recognize it i expect they said as i came through mortagne that chouans to the number of two thousand had attacked the mail and that every one even the travellers had perished that is how history is written the fatuous air with which corentin spoke and his drawling tones recalled some habitue of la petite provence who has discovered in his sorrow that a piece of political news is false alas madame he went on if travellers are murdered at such a short distance from paris what will be the state of affairs in brittany faith i shall go back to paris and not venture any further is mademoiselle de verneuil young and beautiful asked the lady of their hostess as a sudden thought crossed her mind just then the landlord ended the conversation which had so painful an interest for the three speakers by the announcement that breakfast was ready the young sailor offered his arm to his mother with an assumed familiarity which confirmed corentin's doubts he called out as he reached the staircase citizen if you are travelling with the citoyenne verneuil and she accepts our landlord's offer do not hesitate 
and though these words were careless and his manner by no means pressing corentin went upstairs as soon as they were some seven or eight steps ahead of the parisian the young man pressed the lady's hand affectionately and said in a low voice see now the inglorious hazards to which your plans have exposed us if we are detected how are we to escape and what a part you have made me play the three entered a large-sized room even those unaccustomed to travel in the west would have seen that the landlord had expended all his resources in a lavish preparation for his guests the table was carefully appointed the dampness of the room had been driven off by a large fire the earthenware linen and furniture were not intolerably dirty corentin saw that the landlord had put himself about a good deal as the popular saying is to please the strangers so he thought these people are not what they wish to appear then the little youngster is adroit i took him for a simpleton but i fancy he is quite as sharp as i am myself the landlord went to inform mademoiselle de vernoy that the young sailor his mother and corentin awaited her coming as she did not appear the student of the Ecole Polytechnique felt sure that she had raised difficulties, and, humming veillant au salut de l'Empire, he went off in the direction of her room. A curiously keen desire possessed him to overcome her scruples and bring her back with him. Perhaps he meant to solve the doubts which disturbed him, or to try to exert over this stranger the authority men like to exercise in the case of a pretty woman may i be hanged if that is a republican thought corentin as he went out the movements of those shoulders show the courtier and if that is his mother he continued as he looked again at madame du Gois, i am the pope i believe they are shoe-ones let us make certain of their condition the door soon opened and the young sailor appeared leading by the hand mademoiselle de vernoy whom he led to her place with presumptuous civility the devil had lost nothing during the hour which had just passed with francine's aid mademoiselle de vernoy had equipped herself in a travelling dress more formidable perhaps than a ball toilette for a woman beautiful enough to discard ornaments knows how to relegate the charms of her toilette to a second place and to avail herself of the attractions of a simplicity that proceeds from art she wore a green dress charmingly made and a short jacket or spencer fastened with loops of twisted braid a costume which fitted the outlines of her form with a subtlety scarcely girlish and displayed her slender figure and graceful movements 
she came in smiling with the amiability natural to a woman who can disclose a set of even teeth white as porcelain between two red lips and a couple of fresh childish dimples in her cheeks she had discarded the bonnet which at first had almost hidden her face from the young sailor and could employ the numerous apparently unconscious little devices by which a woman displays or enhances the charms of her face and the graces of her head a certain harmony between her manners and her toilette made her seem so youthful that madame du gois thought herself liberal in allowing her some twenty years of age the coquetry of this change of costume which showed a deliberate effort to please might have aroused hope in the young man but mademoiselle de verneuil bowed slightly without looking at him and left him to himself with a careless cheerfulness that disconcerted him her reserve seemed to unaccustomed eyes to indicate neither coquetry nor prudence but simple indifference real or affected the ingenuous expression which she knew how to assume was inscrutable there was not a trace in her manner of the anticipation of a conquest the pretty ways which had already flattered and deceived the young man's self-love seemed native to her so the stranger took his place somewhat put out mademoiselle de verneuil took francine's hand and addressed madame de gois in conciliatory tones madame will you be so good as to allow this girl to breakfast with us she is rather a friend than a servant and in these stormy times devotion can only be repaid by friendship indeed what else is there left to us to this last observation made in a lowered voice madame de gouart replied by a somewhat stiff and mutilated curtsey that revealed her annoyance at coming in contact with so pretty a woman she stooped to whisper in her son's ear oh stormy times devotion madame and the waiting woman this is not mademoiselle de verneuil but some creature sent by fouche mademoiselle de verneuil became aware of corentin's presence as they seated themselves he still submitted the strangers to a narrow inspection under which they seemed rather uneasy citizen she said i am sure you are too well bred to wish to follow me about in this way the republic sent my relations to the scaffold but had not the magnanimity to find a guardian for me so though against my wish you have accompanied me so far with a quixotic courtesy quite unheard of and she sighed i am determined not to permit the protecting care you have expended upon me to become a source of annoyance to you i am in safety here and you can leave me she looked at him resolutely and scornfully 
Corentin understood her, suppressed a lurking smile about the corners of his crafty mouth, and bowed respectfully. Citoyenne, said he, it is always an honor to obey your commands. Beauty is the only queen whom a true republican can willingly serve. Mademoiselle de Vernoy smiled so significantly and joyously at Francine as he went that Madame de Gouas's suspicions were somewhat allayed, albeit prudence had come along with jealousy of Mademoiselle de Vernoy's perfect loveliness. Perhaps she is Mademoiselle de Vernoy after all, she said to her son how about the escort he answered for vexation had made him discreet in his turn is he her jailer or her protector is she a friend or an enemy of the government madame de gouas's eyes seemed to say that she meant to go to the bottom of this mystery Corentin's departure appeared to reassure the young sailor. His face relaxed, but the way in which he looked at Mademoiselle de Vernoy revealed rather an immoderate love of women in general than the dawning warmth of a respectful passion. On the other hand, the young lady grew more and more reserved, keeping all her friendly words for Madame de Gouas until the young man grew sulky at being left to himself, and in his vexation assumed airs of indifference. It was all lost, it seemed, upon Mademoiselle de Vernoy, who appeared to be unaffected, but not shy, and reserved without prudishness. After all, this casual meeting of people who were unlikely to know more of each other called for no special emotion, but a certain constraint and even a vulgar embarrassment began to spoil any pleasure which Mademoiselle de Vernoy and the young sailor had expected from it but a moment before. But women have among themselves such strong interests in common, or such a keen desire for emotions, combined with so wonderful an instinct for finding the right thing to say and do, that they can always break the ice on such occasions. So that, as if one thought possessed both ladies, they began to rally their cavalier rivalled each other in paying him various small attentions and joked at his expense this unanimity of plan set them free from constraint words and looks began to lose their significance and importance at the end of half an hour in fact the two women already enemies at heart were outwardly on the best of terms while the young sailor found that he preferred Mademoiselle de Vernoy's reserve to her present vivacity. He was so tormented that he angrily wished he had not asked her to join them. End of section 7